welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode 8 of the podcast. A lot has happened in our absence, but there is a ton of Niner news to talk about today. Today, we're going to discuss George Kittle's contract situation. Are the 49ers in their market for a receiver, and could Jamal Adams be headed to the Bay Area? Also, stay tuned till the end of the show to learn how you can win a free virtual meet and greet with the GOAT, Jerry Rice, and a free autographed photo as well. Joining us today, he covers the 49ers for Sports Illustrated and also hosts his own YouTube show, Grant Cohn. Grant, thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in. George Kittle's contract, it's been estimated he's going to get somewhere between 15 to $20 million uh, per season. His agent, Jack Becta, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, uh, he even said that Kittle is a unicorn and there's no comparison to him. And he even added he deserves a special type of contract. Uh, even Niners GM John Lynch said Kittle's not going anywhere. So it seems like both parties are on the same page here. But before I get into the question, uh, to me, and I think most people would agree, Kittle is, in my opinion, the most complete tight end in the NFL. Now, we can argue how San Francisco used him in the playoffs. Maybe it wasn't the best way in regards to uh, receiving the ball. But he is the Niners' most valuable asset on the offensive side of the ball. Do you believe it is imperative the Niners re-sign George Kittle? Yes. Blunt. Yes. I would re- I would have re-signed him already if I were Jed York and John Lynch. I, I don't exactly understand what they think, um, why they're waiting. But you said he's the best, the most complete tight end in the NFL. I would go. For, I would agree with that. But I would go further. He's the best player on the 49ers. Not just the, on their offense. He's the most important player on the team. And he's the face of the franchise. Not Jimmy. George is the face of the franchise, and it's not just how good he is. It's the way he plays the game. He has this enthusiasm, uh, this energy. He plays hard, probably harder than anyone else on the team in the league, and he smiles. He has fun, and I think that that type of energy is contagious. I mean, it's not just fun for fans to watch, but I think it it rubs off on his teammates, and they see if this guy who's making $500,000 a year can play this hard and have this much fun – I should probably be able to enjoy my job too. I think he has that type of uh, impact on the entire locker room and team. And if they were to convince themselves that they created him or that he was overhyped or that they could replace him, I think that would be uh, just a huge mistake. And I hope they don't go down that road. But when they say that he's not going anywhere, I think that basically means, look, we can franchise tag him. So even (laughs) if we can't come to an agreement, uh, we have the leverage. And that's true. I don't know how how Kittle will love the franchise tag considering how widely regarded he is as a top two, top three tight end, if not the best tight end in the NFL. But I'm I'm, I'm looking at the, the highest paid skill position players list currently and two things come to mind. One, there is no tight end inside the top 10. And two, nobody on this list, in my opinion, is as valuable as George Kittle is to the 49ers. Uh, starting from five, working our way up to one, Devontae Adams, 16.4 mil, Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill, 17.1, 17.7 mil, AJ Green, 17.8 mil, and Mike Evans, 17.9 mil. All good players, but George Kittle is a much more impactful player in every aspect of the game. He is the best player, one through five on that list. And if I'm thinking, if Mike Evans is getting 17.9, Kittle has to at least get 18 mil a year. And when you look at it again, he's not just going to reset the tight end market. He could very well reset the entire skill position player market in the NFL. Which leads into my next question. Where do you see 
Kittle's contract ending up? Is it 18 mil, 15 mil? Is it inside that 20 or does it ex- exceed $20 million a year? Well, I think he could ask for $20 million a year. People say, oh, he's just a tight end. I don't understand. I don't get the concept behind that. I don't get the logic. I mean, he catches like a wide receiver. His receiving yards are up there with Julio Jones and the best guys in the league. And those guys don't block like him. So, so why is he just a tight end? Why, why are there no tight ends in the top 10 highest paid skill position players? To me, that's wrong. That's outdated and it's wrong. And what Kittle could do is he could frame it in his mind. Look, I'm not being selfish by holding out for a higher number. I'm doing this for all tight ends. You know, they need me. I'm the best tight end. They need me to take a stand and to get as much as I can because that'll help tight ends after me. And he's always been very big on tight ends, tight end, national tight end day. He's um, proud of that position and he should be. He sort of put it on the map. I mean, Rob Gronkowski as well. I just don't understand why you would hold that against a player. It seems to me that tight ends do more than wide receivers. And if a tight end can catch like a wide receiver, you should be paying him wide receiver plus. Okay, but that wasn't really your question. What will they settle with? They could ask for 20. They could ask for 23. I don't think they even would do that. That's just um, unrealistic. If you ask for that, you're getting traded. I think they probably, and I don't know, I, I, I've contacted uh, Jack Beckton. He doesn't want to talk about this on the record, off the record, and I respect that. But I think, how could they settle for anything less than what D Ford gets? Or Eric Armstead? I mean, they know that George Kittle is better than those two players. He's the best player in the team. Of course, he's not going to make as much as Jimmy, the quarterback. That's the the economics of the of the position. But Kittle should be making at least $17.5 million a year, at least. And I think Kittle would probably be I think he would probably be okay with that. I mean, that would be making almost double what the next highest paid tight end may. He'd be making what you said, basically AJ Green money. I think that's fair. He'd be the second highest paid player on the team. And the fact that he's not, hasn't signed yet means to me that the Niners offer is way low, way lower than that. I mean, I don't think they're going to offer him 11, 12, 11 or 12, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners go, went to Kittle and said, you know, you're the greatest. We love you. You're just one of the best tight ends of all time. Here's, $14 $14 million per season. You're shattering the record for a tight end. You should feel really great about $14 million. And Kittle and Asian go, we wouldn't even be, we would be like top, maybe top five on the 49ers. It's, it feels like a little bit of a slap in the face. And if, if you think about how much, how, how far were the Niners and Buckner apart that made Buckner need to get traded? I'm thinking maybe two or three million. So if the Niners and, and, and Buckner are two, and Kittle are two or three million away, that could be a deal breaker. Um, it, it seems to me that the Niners are going to have to come up to 17, that Kittle has really shouldn't go below that number. The Niners are going to have to meet him, I think. Do you think it's more of a case of the Niners need George Kittle more than George Kittle needs the 49ers? Well, I think the Niners would disagree with that because the Niners would say, we, Kyle Shanahan can scheme anyone open. That, uh, yes, George Kittle's a good receiver, but he gets a lot of wide open space, and a lot of what he does is after the catch. Um, we've seen other players have success after the catch. Debo Samuels had success after the catch for the 49ers. I think Kyle Shanahan would probably argue that you just give me a really good blocking tight end and I can work it out in the passing game. But that's, I think, probably ego talking. I don't think you can't replace George Kittle. He does too much. I mean, just logistically, you know, defenses can't put a linebacker on him. He's too good. They put a, you got to put a strong safety on him. That means that strong safety is not going to be doubling one of your wide receivers. So one of your wide receivers is going to get single coverage. His job is going to be easier. Kittle takes the focus off of everyone else in the past. And now we're near, we haven't even talked about his, his blocking. 
So I don't think you can replace him. If the Niners feel like, well, maybe we should keep Trent Williams because he's a left tackle and you can get tight ends, I think that would be misguided. You kind of mentioned DeForest Buckner earlier, and you even tweeted out, the Niners better not do to Kittle what they did to DeForest Buckner. And so I guess I want to ask you on your end, but also in the fans' opinion, is there a legitimate fear that what happened to Buckner could also happen to George Kittle? I think absolutely there's a legitimate fear. Absolutely. The way I look at it is that whole thing fell apart because two million difference year to year. Does that sound right? I mean, Buckner wanted 21. I'm guessing the Niners offered 18, 19, and it fell apart. So if if that's all it took for that to fall apart, what's going on here? Yeah, all we can do is honestly hope that the Niners, I don't want to say pull their heads out of their butts, but can can, can figure this thing out because Kittle is so valuable to this Niners team in the running game, the passing game, the blocking game, whatever it is. He almost is the center point of the entire offense of what they do. And to me, losing Kittle is the the one thing you can't do. You know, people talk about, well, you can replace Jimmy. Yeah, you can replace Jimmy. Now, whether it's Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, whoever it is, I wouldn't want to do those moves, but you can do them. And you might you might find success elsewhere. But George Kittle, you you know, there's not another tight end in the NFL that can do what George Kittle does. And so, uh, with that said, I want to move off from tight ends and kind of go to receivers now. And uh, the Niners saw the injury bug hit them uh, hard last year, and now it's kind of hit them again uh, this season. And uh, if, if 2020 couldn't get any worse, as it already is, uh, Richie James broke his wrist, and even more significant, Debo Samuel broke his foot while working out uh, with the rest of the offense in Nashville. James is going to miss two months, and yes, James was only a kick returner last year and had a very small impact on the offensive side of the ball, but Debo Samuel is receiver number one here, and he could miss uh, 10 to 16 weeks, depending on how well his body responds to the surgery and how well he can recover. And depending on if the season starts on time, could very well easily mean he misses you know, one to four games, again, depending on how his body responds. And with the injuries, going over the Niners' depth chart, uh, Jalen Hurd's unproven, Brandon Ayuk's unproven, uh, Jawan Jennings hasn't played a snap in the NFL, Trent Taylor and Hurd were on IR all last season. Who is Travis Benjamin? Who is Dante Pettis? And so when I look at it, I say Kendrick Bourne is the only healthy receiver on the active roster with the the credibility to his name to have an impact on the offense. And even then, he was primarily a third down kind of guy. But do you feel comfortable with what the Niners have at receiver if Debo Samuel cannot be healthy for the first uh, one to four weeks into the season? Let me put it this way. For most teams, no. I mean, it's a it's not a good wide receiver core. It's banged up. It's unproven. But for Kyle Shanahan, who is is supposed to be the the most creative offensive coach in the league or up there, and he he is, it should be enough. He's got the running game. He has tight ends. He should be able to figure it out. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to show how creative he can be. I think a lot of people are are thinking about it like, well, who's he just going to plug into Debo's spot? You know, who's just going to plug right in and do all the stuff Debo does? Like, I don't think that's what a creative coach does. You could just throw Brandon Ayuk there week one and say, go get him. Or you could reconfigure your offense a little bit and say, well, okay, my wide receivers aren't so good and really none of them have earned starting roles. Maybe I could feature my tight ends and running backs. You know, maybe I could go with some packages like two tight ends, two running backs and one wide receiver. Why throw a bunch of wide receivers on the field if you don't need to? You can, you're a run first team anyway. 
you wouldn't have the end around and jet sweep package that you would with more wide receivers on the field, but you could really muscle up and move some defenses. And as they muscle up to combat that, then the play action pass becomes so deadly. And what you could do is you could use Travis Benjamin on those play action deep shots. You could use Kendrick Bourne as the one wide receiver in the red zone. You could use Trent Taylor as the guy on third downs. There's so many different ways you could use the one wide receiver on the field. And sometimes you could be in 22 personnel in tight with the wide receiver, with the quarterback under center, or you could spread out and put the, the both running backs at wide receiver and put Trent Taylor in the slot and the tight ends in the slot. That's what the Patriots did to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. That spread 22 personnel. I mean, the Patriots are creative. Josh McDaniels would work around it. A, a good coach says, well, what do I have? The Niners have so many things. Just because they have one b- banged up wide receiver doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to have a, a potent offense. And if we look back at last season, the first seven, eight games of the season, they were starting Dante Pettis and they were undefeated. You know, And he wasn't playing well. So I think they should be able to work around this. Kyle is, is more than clever enough to, to find out a solution for a month. Yeah, I think one person that a lot of people aren't talking about in regards to possibly not replacing Debo, but kind of filling the void if he can't play is Jerry McKinnon. We didn't see him all last year or the last two years. If he's healthy, he's shown for a small period of time in his career that he can be a viable option. Obviously, Shanahan loves him enough to keep him around this long and pay him a huge contract when they brought him in two years ago. And so uh, I think McKinnon, if healthy again, it's a big caveat there, if he's healthy, uh, can kind of be the person we haven't seen before and kind of step into a role as a pass catching back, use him on second down. But uh, we know that the, the Twitter banter between Kendrick Bourne and Des Bryant was pure fun. Uh, apparently it was. Bourne was trying to get a workout with Bryant. But Twitter heated up really fast. Instagram heated up really fast. But do you think that uh, the Niners should, uh, if they were to go into preseason and say, hey, well, we have a receiver, uh, even though how great Kyle Shanahan is, we don't have as much as we thought we did. Jalen Hurd's injuries are kind of coming back up. Trent Taylor isn't what he was a few years ago. And, and let's hope those things don't happen. But there isn't a lot of depth. It's a bunch of names. But do you think the Niners should look at someone like Des Bryant? Do you think they should look at another receiver out in the market and say, if these guys aren't working out, we got to get someone in here like a veteran like Des Bryant? I see what you're saying. Like you're projecting forward three months. Like if yes. training camp goes happens and none of the wide receivers really step up or some get hurt, what do you do then? That's fair. Uh, let's go three months into the future into that hypothetical where you're right before uh, September and your own guys haven't really stepped up. What are you going to do? I think in that situation, there would be better options than Des Bryant available. The way I look at it this year is there are going to be a bunch of 24, 25 to 26 year old uh, veterans, maybe former undrafted free agents who have been on the roster bubble of certain teams, but definitely NFL caliber players who are going to get cut probably when they shouldn't. They don't deserve to get cut. But since there's no OTAs in mini camps, there's going to be some of these rookie sixth and seventh round picks who kind of just make the team by default, where every year there's like a sixth round pick or a few that just get played off the team by like last year. There was Caden Smith, the sixth round pick by the Niners, who got played off the team by Ross Dwelly. Uh, Dwelly outplayed him every step of the way, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, and it was clear. Uh, this year, I, a, a guy like Ross Dwelly wouldn't have the time to prove himself. So those kind of guys are going to get cut. And they'll be available, they'll be young, they'll be talented, they'll be in better shape than Des Bryant, they'll be cheaper than Des Bryant, they'll have a more low-key personality than Des Bryant. I think you can find many better, I don't have any names off the top of my head, but when final cuts come around, I think you'll see any number of wide receivers who would actually 
be more valuable in 2020 to a wide to an NFL team than Dez. Yeah, one name that comes to mind is uh, Taylor Gabriel. Uh, him and Shanahan have a ton of uh, experience together, and now I don't know what Gabriel's asking price is going to be, but you know, if the hypothetical stands and the injuries are occurring or there's just not a lot of consistency there and the Niners feel the, the receiving room is very unproven, I can easily see Shanahan saying, I want to get another one of my guys, at least in the building, uh, to fill a spot. But Dante Whitner, uh, last week on 957 The Game, you were just on there earlier today, and I work there. So it's kind of kind of the good consistency here is that uh, he advocated for Antonio Brown uh, last week. And we all know Brown's antics. We know the legal trouble he's gotten himself into and even what he's facing in the future. But Jerry Rice advocated for him and has kind of since backpedaled a little bit. Uh, but despite the risks being higher, I think we can all agree if Antonio Brown's head is on right, he's quiet, which that can be a big asking price for Antonio Brown, but the, the reward is also so much higher. Do you think that uh, bringing in Antonio Brown is even uh, even in the question, or do you feel like it's just a last-ditch effort in case everything goes crazy and, and this, the, the whole receiving room is kind of a mess and the, the season's going to start and San Francisco goes, we don't have anybody? Well, I think if you put aside all the legal issues he's had and the possibility that even if any team signed him, that he would immediately be suspended by the league and put on the commissioner's exempt list. We don't know. You put all that aside, I think even the best version of Antonio Brown, the most focused, most productive Antonio Brown still is a me first guy who's a diva who would be unhappy after a win in which he only got eight targets and four catches for 40 yards. That's how he is. And I think the Steelers dealt with that for a long time, and they gave him 15 targets a game, and they felt, well, that'll help us win. But they never won a Super Bowl like that. And even giving him all those targets, as soon as they got another wide receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster, who was outperforming him for like a a season, he lost it and quit the team. Uh, That's the way I read it. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's a run-first team that would like to throw as little as possible. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo seems to go through peaks and valleys. And if they can run the ball 45 times and win, they will. Antonio Brown wouldn't stand for that. I still look at him as a guy who wants to prove that he's the greatest wide receiver of all time because his numbers put him in that in the conversation. So he can always say, look, I was going to be the wide, the greatest wide receiver of all time until I got blackballed like Colin Kaepernick for different reasons. Uh, if he comes back to the league and is on a team where he's catching four passes a game for 40 yards, well, then he can't make the argument that he's the best wide receiver of all time anymore. And I think he'll wind his way off the team like he did with the Raiders. I mean, I just if a guy's done it twice, why do you think he's not going to do it a third time for you? That seems just seems like pride talking, messing with you. You know what I mean? Like in, in, in Pulp Fiction, that's pride messing with you, man. <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. The system seems to be one of uh, one of the more concerning things is how well does he fit in the system? And even more so, uh, the Niners seem to value consistent attitudes, consistent uh, playing, and more so just good character people. We saw the mass exodus of players when Shanahan came in. They wanted the guys to come in that were good character, high character guys that can be leaders on this team, no matter if you're a first-round pick or a seventh-round pick or even an undrafted guy. Like The Niners pride themselves of finding good character guys who can contribute uh, that were not picked, like Kendrick Bourne, who's a high-character guy, a good teammate. Uh, but there's someone else out there that I've looked at that you've talked about, you even have some news on. You set Twitter ablaze this last week, and that's Jamal Adams. The Jets have been pretty terrible at how they run the organization for, it seems like, the last four decades. And 
The Jamal Adams scenario seems like another one of those. We don't know how to handle certain players and don't know how to keep our superstars happy. And they have been kind of feuding somewhat uh, for the last year, year or so, uh, which stems from him being involved in trade rumors, despite them saying, we're not going to trade you, we don't want to trade you, and we want to keep you in town, and him also not receiving the desired contract that he wants. Uh, despite the Jets being adamant, we don't want to get rid of you and we'd like to resign you. And that kind of goes back to what you said about Kittle is that, well, if you want to resign him, why hasn't it happened yet? And that could be a difference of 2 to $3 million. But uh, Adam said, you know what? I'm done. I, I, I want to be out of New York. If you're not going to sign me now, get me out of here. And he listed seven teams, notably the Bucks, Seahawks, Cowboys, and the 49ers. When I look at it, do you think the Niners have a realistic chance of acquiring Jamal Adams? And if so, what does a trade for Jamal Adams look like? Absolutely, they have a realistic chance. Adams wants to come here. They have the trade. They have the draft picks to get him. I mean, it only took the Colts offering the Niners one first-round pick to get Buckner. Uh, Now, the Niners can't offer the 13th pick in the draft. Probably, they're probably going to be picking in the 20s. Uh, if or the late 20s or the 30s. So what do they offer? At least the first in 2021, and then I think you'd offer some pick in 2022. You probably start at the fourth, knowing that the Jets want the second, and try to meet it in the middle at, at the, the third round pick. So a first in 2021, a third in 2022. How many teams are going to beat that? You know, like, we'll see. But that seems like a pretty good offer. It's about what the Niners got for Buckner. And I don't see why the Niners wouldn't wouldn't do it. I mean, he's absolutely worth worth that first round pick that you're giving up. He's way better than any player you get in the late 20s in 2021. And then if you feel uncomfortable about giving up the the the, the pick in 2022, you could get some of that value back by trading Jaquaski Tart away for a third round pick. So I don't think it would be that expensive. And then you you wouldn't have to re-sign him until 2022. The salary cap would be so much higher by then. Until then, he'd be pretty cheap. There's really no good reason not to get him. He's such a playmaker. He's so much better than pretty much every other strong safety in the league. And I think he would make the Niners the clear favorites to win the Super Bowl. So I don't expect it to happen this week. The the Jets have every right to sort of drag their feet and see if another team will swoop in and give him a better deal down the line. But eventually, if Jamal Adams holds out and refuses to play, they're going to have to uh, trade him, and I think the Niners will be right there with either the best or one of the best offers. You tweeted out that uh, the Jamal Adams to the Niners is picking up steam. Uh, you had a source, and you don't have to say the source. Uh, can you maybe explain what that means? People maybe don't know or maybe don't understand how trades work in the NFL or even what picking up steam means. Is it mean it's a conversation, or does it mean that there's serious offers out there? The way I interpret it uh, is, and it's not, it's not like when reporters get this, they like reveal the tip of the iceberg and leave 99% to themselves. Like I'm telling you what I heard. I heard it's picking up steam. And what I interpret from that is both sides are interested and the Niners are starting to figure to communicate and ask, what's it going to cost? It doesn't mean it's going to happen next week, but it means that there's momentum. There's mutual interest and there are, the, the wheels are beginning to move to, get, to make it happen. It could, it could take months. But I think it, I read it as a very good sign for 49ers fans and uh, a sign that the Niners are interested and seem to be trying to figure out what it takes to make it happen. Speaking of, uh, you talked about Chris Tart, he would be someone who the Niners would probably have to move if they did acquire Jamal Adams. 
Um, you said they trade him for a third-round pick and kind of get some value back that they would have to get, give up to get Adams. Um, we both know his contract is up after this season. Uh, how much of an impact do you think that has on the Niners' decision-making? Do they say, we want to keep Tart for a year then kind of see what happens with it and maybe they can sign him for cheaper than they would have to do Jamal Adams in two seasons? Or do they say, Jamal Adams for two years and maybe a first and a third-round pick and that's worth much more than it would be to keep Tart for the short term? Well, I, I, Tart's getting expensive. I mean, his his salary has jumped a million every year. He's making six million this year. He might be able to demand a contract starting next year that starts at seven million and works his way up to eight million, nine million. He's a good player. He's about as good as Jimmy Ward, who's making good money. So the the way the Niners can look at it is: Do they want to give? Do they want to make Jaquaski Tart one of the ten highest paid safeties in the league, uh, or do they want to get a guy who's younger, better? And spend that money on on some real quality. That's the way I, I look at it. I mean, Jaquaski Tart is worth the money, and I think he would be good for a lot of teams. But I'm not even sure the Jets would want him. I think the Jets might be more interested in just straight draft picks from the 49ers than Tart. I think the, the Niners most likely would have to trade Tart to a third team. Some other team that would like to have him for a third-round pick, I think that would be a fair, a fair return. But he's solid, but I think you can do a lot better, especially – uh, if you're having to pay him eight, nine million dollars a year and counting on him to miss about three, four games every season, which has been his history. That's one thing I will say that the Niners last year, despite having the injuries they had, they definitely got a lot more consistency out of guys that had a lot of injury history, like Jimmy Ward, uh, Tart, and you can go on and on and on. But I want to ask you, uh, this is someone that I would like to see more of. And yeah, he had a big play against the Chiefs uh, in February, uh, but... That's Tarverius Moore. Uh, he, he he was a corner, uh, and he, they moved him over to safety his rookie season in camp, and he, he had been kind of transitioning for a little bit, but even Jimmy Ward advocated uh, for him to replace him if he did leave. Do you think that, let's say they can acquire Adams or just choose not to, they see Tart there and go, we don't want to pay you seven, eight, nine mil a year. Do you think they value Tarverius Moore enough to at least give him a chance uh, to replace Tart? I see Tavarius Moore as a free safety. He came into the league as a corner. Transitioning him to strong safety, which is one step away from linebacker, seems a little rich for him, considering he lost his job uh, week three, handed it back to Jimmy Ward because he was taking bad angles to tackles. Now, that's just a youngster's mistake, especially one who used to be a corner, so I don't hold it against him, but I think he's a hell of a player. I think he has a future, not at strong safety, he could eventually, maybe if Tart leaves and the Niners don't get Jamal Adams, they could play Tavarius Moore at free safety and move Jimmy Ward to strong safety, although that's another guy who's built like a cornerback. I, really, I think a, a pairing of Jamal Adams and Tavarius Moore in a couple of years, even next year, would be deadly. And you bring, it's interesting you bring up Tavarius Moore in the Super Bowl. It's, you know, it's a hell of a pick, uh, timely, but you wonder, was that just a one-off? He hasn't played much. Well, I saw him play a lot in training camp. He was the starting free safety because Jimmy Ward was out the entire time. And he picked off Jimmy Garoppolo a lot, many, many times. He was either the defense's leader in interceptions or right there. So to me, he is a natural ball hawk who is much better at free safety than cornerback and has real potential as a free safety who could get you four or five picks a year. Yes, seriously. But um, And to me, if that's what he could do, get him on the field because he's entering his third year and Jimmy Ward isn't that player. Ward's good. You can play him in a lot of different places, and he's a good tackler, but he just hasn't been a kind of guy to get you interceptions, and Moore is that guy. So if the Niners could get 
Jamal Adams, who's going to give you like seven sacks a season blitzing and force fumbles and touchdowns and all this stuff, uh, and Tavarius Moore in the back end, that's a hell of a safety tandem, really. Yeah, it seems like Jimmy Ward is more of the coverage guy, but not the guy, like you said, a ball hawk. Uh, there are plenty of safeties who can cover well, but aren't going to get you the turnovers. And when you have a top three, top five offense like the Niners do, you want to get them on the field as much as possible. Yeah, uh, and, you, and want so- many turnovers, you want as many turnovers playmakers on your defense as possible at every level and the Niners are way too good of a team to have such a mediocre secondary it's the same secondary that was awful in 2018 they improved it by adding to their pass rush which is smart but they're so close to having just a historically great defense with no weaknesses go get that all pro DB and uh, finish the job like the Niners did in 94 when they got Dion. so the next question I have is kind of a two-parter uh, knowing the Niners have to extend people like Kittle, uh, possibly Sherman, uh, if they go that route, uh, McGlinchey, Trent Williams, and Quan Williams, and others on the list, uh, do you believe it's worth trading for Adams, knowing it could possibly hurt the Niners elsewhere? And uh, with Sherman creeping up in age, although he played great last season, he, had, he didn't have a great uh, Super Bowl game, but uh, he did have a great season last year, but he is getting up there in age. Do you think it's worth maybe letting go of Sherman if you have to and getting Jamal Adams uh, to kind of be that new all-pro DB for the next five to six seasons? Sherman's probably going to be gone in 2021. I would expect this is his last season on the team. But the cool thing about trading for Jamal Adams in the short term is that he would actually be cheaper for the 49ers in 2020 than Tart. Tart's scheduled to make six-plus million in 2020. Uh, Adams is scheduled to make seven. So he's technically more expensive. But if the Niners cut Tart, they're only on the hook for $1.5 million. So we'll start there. Then if the Jets trade Tart, the Jets actually have to pay for about half of his money in 2020 because a lot of it is prorated signing bonus. So the Niners would be on the hook for $3.5 million for Adams and $1.5 million for Tart. That's $5 million, which is less than Tart in his own. So there's really no, the way I look at it, there's no angle to look at the Adams potential trade that makes it look bad. He's cheaper than Tart. He's better than Tart. He's under team control for two years at a reasonable price. When you have to extend him, the salary cap goes up. He wouldn't cost you anyone. In fact, he would be cheaper. So I, I think Sherman would be a good influence for him for a year. He'd be the mentor. He'd be the leader of the secondary for one more year. He would integrate Jamal Adams into the team and show him how to be, how to coexist on a good team. Because it's been a while for Adams, right? He's had a lot of experience uh, acting out and, and exp- expressing his frustration. That would be unnecessary here. He just needs to be part of the uh, good vibes in the locker room, and Sherman could show him how to do that. Because Sherman used to be a malcontent in Seattle, and he fit in quite well in Santa Clara. So I think those two would actually be a pretty good combo in 2020. Do you think the Niners look at it and say, hey, if we can get off Tart's contract, we could use that money to leverage for George Kittle? possible but i'm cynical on the, on the kittle deal I, I feel like the niners are are not going to give kittle his deal this year i could be wrong i don't know but i think that they're going to make him play one more year on his rookie deal and kittle's going to have to come back make two million this year and they're going to say look uh, what are you going to do hold out you got a chance to win a super bowl you're going to pass that up and i think kittle probably won't because he loves playing he loves the sport he loves his teammates he's invested. I think he'll give it one more go. Might not be happy about it. I don't know how happy Buckner was last year, right? 
So I think maybe you could keep it going for one more year. But next year, if he has another all-pro season and leads him to the Super Bowl, they better give him the extension. How do you mess with him at that point? I think they just might drag it out a little bit longer, which is too bad. Do you think that after last season, despite knowing your team is good, despite knowing you have uh, many superstars like Dick Bosa, Jimmy G, you don't have to call him a superstar, but he is a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. Raheem Mostert's still on the roster. Tevin Coleman's there. If McKinnon's healthy, he's also a star, hopefully. Debo's locked up. Williams is there. Like This may be the year for the Niners. Do you think that there is pressure on the front office, even despite knowing you have uh, a large portion of your team's stars uh, locked up for the next two to three years, that they say, you know what? Like We have to go get this thing. We have to. Getting Jamal Adams could be the key to unlocking this Super Bowl run for San Francisco. Normally, I would say yes. Because anytime any team gets a Super Bowl window, what you do is you do what you have to do to maximize it. Because they're rare, they don't last long, they don't come around very often. For a head coach and a GM, they might you might get you might get one Super Bowl window. You might not. So if you get it, you do what you got to do to not waste it. And even though you could look at the Niners being like ahead of schedule last year, they fell into a Super Bowl window and they couldn't close the deal. So now they get a second opportunity. Will they do it? That's why to me the Jamal Adams is a no-brainer. I mean, you're so close. He makes you the favorite. If he goes to your rival like the Seahawks, all of a sudden they could be the favorite. He's the different. He's like the Charles Haley, right? Remember when Charles Haley was with the Niners, then he went to the Cowboys, and he ended up being the catalyst to a bunch of Super Bowls. It could be Adams. Uh, the only thing I wonder is they just gave Kyle Shanahan a three-year extension. He signed through 2025. He has lost two Super Bowls and been pretty cavalier about losing both of them afterwards, saying, oh, well, you know, I'll get over it and I'll be back. So how much urgency does Kyle Shanahan have to max to maximize the Super Bowl window? Or is he the kind of coach that thinks his window will be open forever? That as long as he's coaching, his team will always have a chance to win a Super Bowl. He might be that kind of guy. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think one thing I, I didn't like about Shanahan uh, after his response to losing at least this last Super Bowl was a lot of it he didn't seem to share some of the blame. After a loss, players don't take it well. And yeah, as a coach, you have to be a leader. But at some point, you have to understand that hey, maybe a lot of it was your fault. Yes, the players have to execute, but maybe the game plan you put together wasn't as good as you thought it was. And although I do love Kyle Shanahan's uh, game plan, she's a great offensive mind, I do think at times he gets complacent. We even saw that, uh, you said the Niners fell into a Super Bowl run. They also fell into uh, that big George Kittle play that was called back for a PI. They, they weren't going to do the call that. They were running the football out until Jeff Wilson broke like a 20-yard run. Against the Ravens, complacency. Against Seattle, at home, complacency. At some point, and this, I guess, kind of filters into the Jamal Adams conversation, at what point do you have to hit the red button and say, we're going all out? And Yeah, you don't want to be the Rams. And I know that's a lot of people's hesitation of, you don't want to become the Rams and have to be paying Jared Goff a ton of money. And you have to cut Todd Gurley uh, and Dante Fowler and plenty of other guys out there that are making a ton of money while not playing for you. The Rams, although they didn't win a Super Bowl, were in a position to do so. And they just got out coached to a certain degree. And at some point, I, I really don't think that Shanahan is someone to get out coached often, but it just seems like he gets out coached at the worst possible times. And, and his complacency is a large portion of that, of not being aggressive enough. And even at times, he's aggressive at the wrong moments. Just like against Atlanta, when he was in Atlanta uh, and calling the play action with Matt Ryan uh, up by 
we already know, 28-3. to uh, or And even last year, why are we throwing the football up by 10 with nine minutes left? With the, the, the number one, number two rushing attack in the NFL. And so, as much as I love Kyle Shanahan, I have a lot of problems with how he calls games. But I sometimes I just hope he would ramp things up a little bit more at the right time. But I have one final question for you. Is Do you think that this Niners team as currently constructed, do you believe that this is the team that will take the field in 2020? Or is there a signing or a move you believe will happen before the season? I believe they're going to trade for Jamal Adams. I do. I believe that they're going to be smart about it. They're going to not overpay right away just to get them. They're going to uh, see the market and they're going to be on top of it. And they're not going to let the Seahawks get them and they're going to get them. I, I really believe that. Uh, that'll be the big move and it could happen in training camp. It could happen before the trading deadline. Um, but let's come back to Shanahan real quick. Uh, you're right. He does, the way I look at him, he doesn't take blame. He will never put blame on himself. And Sean McVay always does. It's one of the things I like about Sean McVay. You don't even have to believe it. But the players are blaming themselves anyway. It helps when the coach goes up and says, you know what? No, it wasn't about execution. I could have done better. Because it just takes the pressure off all the players and they go, well, at least, I mean, he may not believe it. He might, you know, chew me out in the meetings tomorrow. But at least publicly, he's got my back. And I don't have all the fans and media people pointing the finger at me. They're pointing the finger at the coach, and he's sort of like the team's shield. Shanahan could do that. I mean, it would be a nice step in his maturation. Um, but the way I look at him, okay, I'm going to use a an exa- like a, a metaphor. I look at him as like uh, he's one of like these doctors who's brilliant. Like if you ha- ha- put him in front of a a slide, he could look at the slide in front of a a microscope and he could deconstruct it and tell you everything that's going on. He's a brilliant person, but he might not be the kind of doctor you want performing open heart surgery. You understand? Like he's great drawing up plays and calling them when he's calm, but for whatever reason, in the most pressurized moments of his career, he's done things that are not only strange, but seem out of character. Like, where's your aggression? Where's all this bravado and confidence that you had in September, October, November? Where is it? In this fourth quarter or this overtime against your rivals, all of a sudden you're meek. You're like trying to win it with your defense or what, or, or you don't trust your running game where you trusted it all year. I almost feel like he's one of those ER doctors who kind of cracks under pressure and he's the most brilliant guy in your team and you need him. But when it's a code blue, you might want a guy with steadier hands. So I don't know if that's him. He's still only 40 years old and he'll have decades more to prove that he can really stay calm and cool and smart under pressure. But that's kind of what I look at. That's how I perceive him. I think that's how a lot of people looked at Andy Reid for a long time. Very smart. And and I, I don't want to compare them to each other, but they're kind of on that same path here of that multiple playoff runs. I know Andy Reid never got to the Super Bowl until they played the, the Patriots with T.O. with the broken leg game. But the way I look at Kyle Shanahan, and you use metaphor, and I'll use one too, maybe a little more real-life one in regards to uh, Star Wars. People love Force Awakens. They hated The Last Jedi because Ryan Johnson, the director, wanted to subvert expectations. And I think no matter how you feel about that movie, that isn't the point, but it's more so I think Shanahan, to a fault, tries to subvert expectations when it's not always necessary. You think I'm going to run, so I won't. No, I totally agree because he does have things in common with Andy Reid, but Andy Reid's problem is he never has a running game, ever. Yeah. I mean, he had it for like a year and a half with Kareem Hunt, but he'll get up on you. He'll he'll be up 28-0, and then the second half comes around, and he can't run the ball. 
And all of a sudden, uh, he's giving the ball back to the team, and he's not taking time off the clock, and they're still in the game. That's always been Andy Reid's problem. And the reason it's not a problem anymore is because he, his offense can score 50 now. He just has Patrick Mahomes, and they'll blow you away. Shanahan isn't like that. Shanahan's a run-first guy. Shanahan has the running game. His issue is that with the season on the line and a big lead, 10-point lead with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, 25-point lead with, uh, what, halfway through the third quarter, he forgets about the running game. He forgets about what got him there and what every coach would go to to just ice the victory. It's like he's going for style points when he should just be going for ground and pound. And to me, that's just a guy getting in his own way. Like Shanahan is his biggest rival. There's no guy that you like, man, that guy has Shanahan's number. No, Shanahan has Shanahan's number. He's prevented himself twice from winning Super Bowls. He should have two rings. And he blocked it both times like the Kembe Mutombo, got in his own way. So I'd like to see if he can stop doing that. And it's like, he's almost like, it's like an alcoholic. Like the first step is acknowledging that you're the problem, Kyle. It's not, it's not Steve Spagnolo. It's not your guy's execution, not Jimmy. It's you, you know, there's little tiny things that you could do to just stop being self-destructive. You'd be the best. You'd be the best. Maybe in the uh, Bill Walsh category, but he's not there yet. You can follow Grant Cohn on Twitter at Grant Cohn. He's a great source for 49ers news, rumors, and updates. Be sure to check out his work on Sports Illustrated and check out his YouTube channel. A lot of great work on there too. Grant, thank you for coming on. This was fantastic, Sterling. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Grant, for coming on. But it is now giveaway time. If you want a chance to win an autographed photo from Jerry Rice and have a chance to talk to the GOAT, follow us on social media, Instagram at 49ers.access and Twitter at 49ers underscore access and then wait for us to post the special giveaway on our Instagram and await further instructions. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett and stay faithful.